Yeah, turns out I'm awesome at reading poems. I just never knew it. <laughs> Hi, I'm Annie Muir, and this is Time for One Poem. In this episode, I talked to the poet, Sean Wai Kung, and my poetry skeptic slash expert is Damien, a doctor who loves to be outdoors. Sean tells me about his new book, Sick Fan Glass Shoe, and being inspired by his maternal grandfather's takeaway business. Then me and Damien look at Sean's poem, Landshu Noodle, another sonnet, talking about how food connects people around the world, as well as connecting between the past and the present. Okay, welcome Sean. I'm going to start by asking you, because this is a podcast aimed at complete beginners to poetry, I want to ask you, what is poetry? What is being a poet? Um, God, that's... <laughs> starting off with the big questions I see. Uh, so to me, poetry is a form of using words and rhythm and the visual, sort of visual side of words as well. And each of those things contains importance. So whereas something like a story um, that you might read, it's mainly just sort of the text that's important there. A song that you listen to, it's mainly the audio kind of qualities of it. A painting, it's all about the visual, whereas poetry, I think, is a combination of them all. And for that reason, it's quite hard to pin down. It can be, but I think sort of in general terms, if you want to sort of just, you know, paint it with this big brush, I think you can just about say that it's sort of, most of the time includes some elements of rhythm, most of the time includes some elements of text, and most of the time includes some element of visual. How did you end up becoming a poet? How does that happen? Uh, I'm quite lucky in some ways in that I knew from quite young age that I was really into writing poetry and reading it and it's sort of what I really wanted to do. It sort of got to the stage where I went to study creative writing at university and I was being encouraged to sort of try out lots of different styles of writing which is a really good experience but at the same time it sort of made me feel much more inclined to sticking with poetry and I was sort of like no I, I know what I want to do I want I like this form I like using this very flexible kind of way of writing. So how young are we talking when you started like when you were a young child and you just started reading poetry? Uh, I mean it's hard to hard to remember like the exact sort of you know there wasn't like a specific day when I was like but um, so, some memories I have include uh, listening to Dylan Thomas's under Milkwood on cassette tape and I must have been very young then because it was on cassette tape as I say and um, I didn't really understand it but I really loved the way that the words sounded together um, and Dylan Thomas you know he has this very sort of musical kind of audio quality and I really sort of I might not have understood it but I smiled and laughed at the way that some of the words were put together uh, yeah so there was sort of that uh, and also like a lot of 90s kids I, I was in the band so I used to write song lyrics for our band but I, I really got into the messages in the songs more so than actually sort of putting them to the music and everything so um, yeah it's all these different kind of experiences really sort of made me interested in just wanting to write in this rhythmic kind of way and I think that's that was what got me into it mainly in the beginning was rhythm 
So yeah, I, I I wouldn't you know I can't quite pinpoint when exactly it was that I decided I want to become a poet or anything. But so that that way of expressing myself has always been quite dear to me. That's okay. You don't need a, an exact date. I just I'm trying to get the the reasons why sort of some people start being interested in poetry, whereas some people never do and kind of see it as something that's not for them or not aimed at them, you know? I think a big part of it for me as well was that I did try other art forms. I was always absolutely terrible at painting or drawing or visual art. Um, and I sort of didn't have the patience for that. I did learn music, you know, I was sort of, I, I was learning guitar and I was in a band, as I said, and, and all of this sort of things, but it didn't, you know, it wasn't really fulfilling me in any kind of way. Um, you know, I played sports, but once again, that wasn't really fulfilling me. And so I sort of did try all these things. But yeah, I just always ended up coming back to to poetry somehow. <laughs> like a magnet. Yeah, maybe. something like that. Like a moth to a flame. <laughs> <laughs> One of my favourite poems of yours is Be Happy from your pamphlet, where you list like everyday tasks and you just keep using that refrain and be happy and the first line is read this poem and be happy do you feel happy when you read a poem i'm not sure really i mean a lot of that particular poem was about this sort of what is happiness you know and sort of how do you know when you're feeling happy so it's sort of hard to tell i think i feel connected a lot when i read poetry that can be to particular issues or to particular writers but i've definitely feel more like I'm communicating with someone else far away in some weird kind of not direct way. Uh, and I think having that form of connection there, it definitely makes me feel comforted. Uh, and I probably mostly use the term comforted rather than happy when it comes to reading poetry. <laughs> I thought you'd, you'd be more, um, you know, happy using the word happy because you use it so many times in that poem, but maybe you did that refrain to kind of make yourself use the word in a way, like you were sort of forcing yourself to say, and be happy, and be happy. I mean, it's just, it's just one of those things where, uh, you know, people tell you all the time, just be happy or write, write happiness for things, or <laughs> I don't know, just sort of, there's this real quality to happiness that's just sort of very mystical still. Uh, and I'm not quite sure what exactly it is. And that doesn't mean that I'm like, sad all the time or anything like that but uh you know it, it, it's sort of one of those things where it's going to be different for everyone so it's hard to tell exactly what your happiness is yeah one of the reasons i started time for one poem is because i i latched onto this idea which comes partly from this psychologist called paul dolan that your happiness is determined by how you allocate your attention and i really latched onto this idea that if you focus on sort of one thing, for example, a poem on like a blank page and look at it and ignore everything else going on in your life and in the world, in a way that can make you feel happiness because you're just focusing so completely on that one thing. And I really love that idea. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's quite basic meditation in some ways, you know, it's sort of like, you know, how, just how the instructor might say, for, you know, imagine a candle and focus on that. It's, it's, but instead of a candle or a light or whatever, it's focusing on text or a page. Yeah, and a, and a poem is, is a sort of, it's just a, a like set amount of text, you know, and you can take what you want from it 
it's it's not sort of telling you anything it's just going here i am like a like a painting or like a picture you know definitely uh your new book is like a sort of guidebook isn't it of restaurants and places to eat in glasgow it's amazing when did you start writing about food when did that become your subject matter so it all got inspired by my maternal grandfather who died maybe eight or nine years ago or something like that and I was trying to figure out ways of dealing with this grief and trying to you know my sort of desire to write about him and his life and everything and I just didn't know how to do it you know it was really difficult to try and find a way to encompass someone through just language and just talking about incidents or memories with that person but he was an immigrant from Hong Kong in the 50s and he opened up takeaways in England basically um, and so he would open up a takeaway stay there make some business make some money and then move on to the to a next city open a new takeaway so I thought that maybe a way of trying to write around the subject of who he was and who he sort of represented to me was to try and write about some of the memories I had of food with him and then through this I was then talking to some other people about food just in general and it sort of suddenly dawned on me that things like takeaway food uh, especially are very misunderstood and misrepresented just sort of in society a lot of the time because you just don't don't really hear or see about those stories uh, you know if you ever see a story about food it's mainly to do with sort of celebrity chefs or you know community kitchens or something like that so I decided that I was wanted to try and write about fast food that I wanted to try and write about you know food that was maybe not there because it's particularly amazing food but food that's there for social economical purposes and so from that experience I then sort of you know just sort of started talking to lots of people realized that it wasn't just sort of my family that had this, these experiences but actually lots of different cultures have their own similar experiences with food and so it just became a really clear way for me to write about other topics like migration and identity and the city and you know whenever I talk with friends or family about particular cities it's always you know there's a restaurant there or you know you know that you know what do they eat around there or whatever like that so um, I think food is a really great way of talking about much wider topics. I think it's amazing it's a great book um, especially I like the one about Greg's defining who you are <laughs> by what you choose that's so good. I think also that writing about food and fast food restaurants in particular, which are sort of not very poetic in a way, is just a really great way of reaching a new audience for poetry because people are going to have a point of reference that they wouldn't normally have in poetry and they might not like poetry but they might really like Greg's or they might really like Pisano's or something like that. Did you think about that when you were writing it, that you might attract a new audience to poetry? Uh, not particularly. You know, I, I think the, the more I think about potential audiences, the more scared I get and the more unable to write I get. <laughs> but I mean, the, you know, as, as I was sort of getting at when I was talking about just writing about food in general, you know, it, a lot of the time it isn't particularly that I really want to write about this food like as a food it's more that I'm interested in stories around identity or migration or acceptance or belonging these quite like deep wide concepts but you can't just go up to people and say you know I've got this poem about belonging 
or you know, there's a poem about racism, everyone read it. Whereas if you say to someone, I've written a poem that is about a Chinese takeaway, a lot of people will have an assumption or uh, some experience of what that might mean to them. And so therefore it's a way in to then discuss things like belonging and all of that side of things. So I think, you know, uh, I don't, well, I don't particularly think about potential audiences. I'm, I'm always quite aware of trying to make my poetry accessible to everyone. I don't want to just write poems that other poets read, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm very grateful that other poets do read it, but I get a huge kick out of people who've never experienced poetry before reading one as well. I think it's a great idea. It's a great trick, you know, you're kind of tricking them into having these deep feelings. You're giving them a, a poem about a takeaway and you could go kind of get a big group around and go, haha, this is going to be fun. Let's read about Greg's. And then at the end, they're all crying and they, they don't know what to do. It's amazing. <laughs> um, although you're an expert on being a poet, as we've seen from, from your discussion, you're not an expert on your own poetry, I think, because you're too close to it, you know? So <laughs> that's why I'm going to later talk to a person who doesn't read poetry about one of your poems, Lanzu Noodle. Uh, so I think that is their, your poem's perfect audience, you know? I'm, they probably eat food, but they don't read poetry. <laughs> Does that make you scared? No, no, it's exciting. You know, um, I'm always grateful for anyone who reads one of my poems. And I think that particular poem as well, it's it, because it's so much to do with the act of watching other people cook. I think that's an experience that hopefully a lot of people have. <laughs> so um, I'm going to get you to read it out for me, if that's okay. But before you do, I just want to say thank you so much for talking to me. Thank you for having me. Lanjiao Noodle. The thing about places where you can see into the cooking area slash kitchen is that you really can see it all. The amount of physical effort that every single movement and dish requires, the gravity of a cleaver falling precisely along with the movement of a hand, the tensing of fingers slash eyes when kneading dull, the steam rising from a pan filled with you can't tell what, I want to know what strong feelings it evokes in you to watch your food being made rather than have it appear from a distant corner. Could it be a nostalgia for something slash a yearning slash hunger for connection to another space slash time? Meanwhile, far away in a kitchen on the other side of the world, a small boy watches with huge, disbelieving eyes as his grandfather quickly slices noodles out of dough before flicking them up into the biggest pan the boy will ever see. He knows too that it's almost time. Hi, Damien. Hello, Annie. Thank you for coming to talk to me today. That's okay. Okay, firstly, when someone says the word poetry to you, what is your general reaction? I don't know. I'm interested, but something that, that I'm not involved with, if that makes sense. Why do you feel like that? I think, so as somebody who maybe didn't grow up with any really any art actually at all really you know um 
in the sort of in the classical art sense, you know, sort of painting sculptory things, but classical music or anything. As an adult, I've slowly kind of got into some of that stuff, but for some reason, poetry is something I've just never quite been able to get into. It feels quite opaque. So yeah, I'm always interested. And I like the idea that I would read poetry, um, but um, actually something that I just find really difficult. So yeah, that's, that's generally my, my kind of impression. Right, that makes sense. So can you tell us a bit about yourself and what you do? Uh, so my name's Damien. Um, I am a, a doctor uh, living and working in Glasgow, uh, currently at the Royal Infirmary in the Glasgow City Centre. And um, uh, I have a special interest in gastroenterology, and which is bowels and livers, with liver being my particular interest. <laughs> Great. And what about in your spare time? How do you relax? I quite like outdoorsy things, so um, walking, cycling, climbing, and uh, really enjoy live music, go to lots of gigs, which Glasgow is good for. Uh, so yeah, mainly that. How many gigs are you going to this week? Do you know this, well, this week I've had two so far, and then I've got none, but I might go to one on Monday next week, and I think I've got one at the end of next week. Two a week at the moment, plus Very minus three. impressive. <laughs> average okay and i'm asking everyone would you consider yourself an expert in anything and this can be anything even small things like making matchstick houses oh no jack of all trades master of none that's exactly what someone else said come on not even the liver are you an expert in livers i mean i'm all right with the liver but i'm, I'm not a liver master it's a very complex organ <laughs> Okay, so another another refusal to answer that question. I'll, I'll put a cross next to your name. That's fine. Well, for today, you are our poetry expert. Okay. <laughs> and we're going to look at the poem Lanzu Noodle by Sean Y. Kung. Could you read it out for me? Yes. So, Lanzu Noodle. The thing about places where you can see into the cooking area, kitchen, is that you really can see it all. The amount of physical effort that every single movement and dish requires, the gravity of a cleaver falling precisely along the movements of a hand, the tensing of fingers, eyes when kneading dough, the steam rising from a pan filling with you can't tell what. I want to know what strong feelings it evokes in you to watch your food being made rather than having it appear from a distant corner. Could it be a nostalgia for something, a yearning, hunger, for connection to another space, time? Meanwhile, far away in a kitchen on the other side of the world, a small boy watches with huge disbelieving eyes as his grandfather quickly slices noodles out of dough before flicking them up into the biggest pan the boy will ever see. He knows too that it's almost time. Thank you. Beautifully read. Okay, so what are your first impressions of this poem? Is there anything that stands out to you? So I suppose my first impression is actually, it's just technical. It's a bit difficult to read. And again, this is maybe part of my problem yeah. with poetry. So I don't know if anyone gets a chance to look at the poem, but he often does a forward slash, the tensing of fingers slash eyes when kneading dough. So it, 
kind of makes it quite hard to read. I don't know. That was the, I wasn't really sure how you say those bits. Yeah, that's a, a thing a lot of people say about poetry is they don't know how to read it out because they're not sure like when to pause mm. at the end of a line or things like that. Because there's not really any punctuation in this at all, apart from these slashes and like asterisks. A few weird asterisks, yeah. Why do you use um, slashes and asterisks like in general? So I suppose a um, forward slash would be to to offer like two alternative things that mean the same thing. Mm. And usually stars are used to denote like a little footnote. Yeah. And also they make me think of like, say if you're writing an essay or something, then you'd sometimes do like star, 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 explain this later or something. It's like a sort of note to self. A bit missing. Yeah. That's kind of what I thought when I saw it, because it doesn't look like it's a... Well, maybe it is meant to be like a footnote. I don't know. But I was going to ask you to say what the poem looked like, because, like you said, people might not be able to see it. So apart from the slashes and stuff, what, what does it look like? What does it look like? It's quite square and reasonably short, with quite long lines. And the uh, title, Lanzu Noodle, has no capitals. I thought that was noteworthy. The whole thing. Uh, in fact, the whole thing has no capitals. And as you say, there's no punctuation, so it kind of just runs together. Yeah. It's like a block of writing. Again, in, and again, it's that kind of thing almost I tried to allude to at the, be at the beginning where you said, what do I think of with poetry? But, you know, it, it looks um, it looks like dense and difficult to get into. I don't know. Maybe this is my poetry uh, prejudice creeping in. But yeah, that kind of is the way that it looks on the page. Dense. And did you think that the content of it was dense or difficult to understand? Do you get like a sort of storyline? Do you know what's going on? Yes, I thought actually that's true. The actual content is quite uh, like run of the mill, like very easy. You know, I, I think everybody has experience of sitting in a restaurant. So, you know, obviously it's about, well, it's, it's essentially two, two, it feels to me like two separate but connected uh, narratives or ideas. And so the first one and the majority, the first two thirds of the poem is about this, you know, your experience of sitting in a, in a restaurant where you can see the, um, the cook or the chef cooking in the background. Um, and then the sort of second part or second third then and as it says meanwhile far away in a kitchen on the other side of the world is then just about a, a, a more family and and certainly when I read it it made me think that that's almost the author of the poem talking about their own childhood or experience but you know based on nothing but that's kind of what it felt like so um yeah yeah well you always kind of assume that don't you but sometimes you it's not true but you usually assume if someone says something that it's they're talking about themselves. It's kind of nice to think that. Yeah, and it, I, I, I agree completely that it seems like it's split into two parts and it is exactly where the asterisks are. So it's almost like they're making it really easy for you. It's like, look, this is where the poem changes now. Look here. Yes, and it's kind of... Yeah, you're right. And it's in the middle of the line as well. So it very nicely uh, separates the two, the two narratives or the two ideas. Yeah. Have you been to Lanzu Noodle? It's in Glasgow. 
Is it really? No, I didn't even know what it No. Well, I have to go. You will have to go. Yeah, it's, it's actually really nice. I've been. And you can watch the chef making the noodles. They're very fresh. Okay. Oh, I'll definitely have to go. Yeah, I wasn't sure if it was a type of noodle or what Lanzu noodle meant. Or Lanzu, is it a place? Yeah, I don't know that either. I should probably find out. I think it is a type of noodle as well. Or a place. One or the other. Or both. So another thing about what this poem looks like is that it has 14 lines, which if any listeners have been listening to this podcast all the way through, they'll know what it means if something is 14 lines. Do you know, Damien? No, I don't. It means it's a sonnet. Oh, okay. Which like doesn't Macbeth. necessarily mean anything. Yeah, well, is Macbeth a sonnet? I think Macbeth's written in iambic pentameter, which sonnets are often written in. But I think Macbeth is longer than 14 lines. No, 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 but like, you do sonnets, aren't there famous Shakespearean sonnets? Oh, does he? And what's the significance of the 14 lines? Just sonnets are always 14 lines. That's just what they are. And it's not, it doesn't really, if I found out something's a sonnet, it doesn't necessarily mean like, oh, this is a sonnet, so I'll understand it now. But it just it just kind of like links it to all the other sonnets that have been before somehow. And it kind of makes it feel kind of historical, even though the poem feels very modern. So it's kind of just like, oh, they're using this really old um, structure for their poem, even though it's a very modern type of poem. And I just like it. Do you count the lines whenever you read a poem? To check it's a sonnet? Not always, but when when it's in a block like that, I usually do check. Because normally poems are in stanzas, you know, and you can kind of, it, it distracts you. But if it's in a block, you're like, hmm, maybe it's a sonnet. Um, so you have to do this every time you read poems now. Just check if there's 14 lines. And if there is, you need to look around the eighth line because that's when there's normally a change in the poem. And I this poem does change. It's not exactly in the eighth line, but there is a big change from one thing to another, like you noticed from the meanwhile far away. That would be the sort of change in this yeah, poem. Yeah, that's it's line 10 on this one, I counted. Line 10, is that when it changes? But they say so they should normally have two different ideas. Well, there's sort of like a moment when something changes it's like actually i've realized that this is going to happen instead i've changed my mind okay obviously this poet does it more poetically than i did (laughs) but yeah i've accident i've accidentally chosen quite a few sonnets for this series i don't know why i must be drawn to them but yeah so this poem is in two parts and you explained it very well let's look at the last part again you said you think that it's about the author. Why do you think that? Um, because it feels very, well, yeah, that's true. As in, it, it, I suppose it needn't be, but it feels personal. It almost feels like a memory, um, a child's memory. Although he does say, uh, meanwhile, uh, you know, meanwhile on the other side of the world, suggesting that it's happening contemporaneously. It's happening at the same time as the as the um, what I now know to be the kitchen in Glasgow where somebody's making some noodles. <laughs> so, um, you know, it's not historical, I suppose, but um, still it feels like a sort of a memory of a child. It almost, to me, feels like 
actually almost I thought the link somebody who's making you know noodles now somewhere in a kitchen and then that linking back to their sort of childhood memory of having watched their grandfather do that in another you know in another part of the world in another another place um which again it says meanwhile on the other side of the world so that doesn't quite work but that almost is the idea that um you know and it makes me think about yeah that idea of if you're working in a restaurant cooking traditional food it's often quite displaced from kind of where it comes from culturally and so you can have this you know in one part of the world there's families making this and it's kind of a um you know a family thing and then it, it becomes totally disconnected where you could be then making that food just you know in glasgow uh you know thousands of miles away from india if you're working in an indian restaurant or, or china if you're making what i presume a chinese noodles so yeah yeah that's that's really interesting that's a beautiful reading of the poem i think you smashed it i can't add anything else to that i think that i like the idea of that it's both him thinking them thinking of someone far away and it can also be a memory at the same time because it doesn't really matter where it is it's, it could be far away in time rather than you know or on the other side of the world it just could be like in another world you know it could be made up or it could be real or it could be themselves but yeah it has that sort of nostalgic feeling doesn't it meanwhile far away in a kitchen on the other side of the world in fact the fact that he almost says far away and other side of the world suggests that far away doesn't pertain to distance it is something else and therefore time would make sense so almost like you know yeah that's um far away and i suppose both in terms of so it could be long ago but again also in terms of that idea far away in terms of in one's life so again the idea that if you had grown up in one part of the world cooking this thing and now suddenly you are you know a million miles away in the sense that you can't even imagine being there you're now in Glasgow cooking this in the kitchen somewhere so it's yeah that's that's nice yeah it's nice it's almost like a fairy tale isn't it far far away on the other side of the world <laughs> yeah I think that's a beautiful reading I'm sure people listening may have different interpretations but I think we're gonna take that one home with us so how do you feel do you think you'll look at poetry any differently after this yeah turns out I'm awesome at reading poems I just never knew it (laughs) (laughs) It It's, it's true I mean it's about what you take from it you know rather than what you shouldn't be scared of a poem by you saying it looks scary and dense but then when you read it this is a good metaphor for reading poetry once you read it you realize it's just a little boy inside or something. <laughs> yeah, I think that's true. Yeah. But maybe the point and maybe what I've learned from this brief discussion is that that's the thing is that if you don't on first reading, it doesn't make much sense or it's awkward to read. That's OK. It might just be that you need to read it a few times or that you need to kind of go away and think about it. And that's maybe the point. Whereas I think and maybe that's interesting, isn't it? If you listen to music, for example, the effect is immediate. The music is what it is, and you generally will have a sort of a, an emotional response immediately. In fact, it's designed to elicit an emotional response. If you look at a painting, you kind of just have a response to that image immediately. And maybe that is the difference with poetry. I've not really thought about this, but something about the fact that 
as opposed to a piece of music or a painting, you don't necessarily get an immediate response. You kind of have to work at it or go and think about it, especially if you don't know what you're looking at, like sonnets. Yeah, it's true. It's it's a sort of pondering thing that maybe one day you'll go to have a bowl of noodles and quietly think about and then you'll go, hmm, yeah, I feel like I get this now. But you might never get it. I might never get it. <laughs> but thank you so much. That's fine. Thank you for having me. Join the conversation. To read the poem in full, go to www time for one poem that's with the numbers four and one dot wordpress.com and comment with your own interpretation of the poem this podcast was made using funding from the national lottery through creative scotland thanks for listening